Hey guys, welcome to the Lutheran Library. The Lutheran Library is a podcast of the Transcendent Truth Media Network. Um, today we're going to be trying to, uh, I don't know if we'll finish, but work towards the end of Luther's 95 Theses. Today we're beginning with Thesis 38. So if you haven't listened to the first episode in this 95 Theses series, please go back, refresh yourself, and um, let us know it was a help to you. And uh, do share and like and subscribe and all that stuff. So Thesis 38, Nevertheless, the remission and participation in the blessings of the Church, which are granted by the Pope, are in no way despised, for they are, as I have said, the declaration of divine remission. So here again, we're brought back to Luther, um, pulling back and pushing forward this concept that um, the remission of sins cannot actually be given, cannot actually be really... um, I don't know if the word would be administered, but you know what I mean? Like the Pope and the church's authority is only to declare what God has already done. It's not to do it themselves. That's what he's saying. So this is very, to be honest, it's really akin with a lot of what um, what uh, non-Lutheran Protestants would even say. So it is really kind of this like, I don't know, evangelical kind of stuff going on, but not like in the traditional Lutheran way. Thir- 39, it is almost... It is most difficult, even for the keenest theologians at one and the same time, to commend to the people the abundance of pardons and the need of true contrition. True contrition seeks and loves penalties, but liberal pardons only relax penalties and cause them to be hated, or at least furnish an occasion for hating them. So this is weird, isn't it? True contrition loves penalties. I'm not sure about that. Um, and th- it's really important to nail down what true contrition is, what it looks like, because as we confess in the Augsburg Confession, repentance is nothing other than um, is nothing other than contrition and faith. And we say, so, and then and then people say, okay, well, what is contrition? Well, is contrition something that hate that loves penalties? Because I don't love penalties. Am I really contrite? And then you're going to go get back into this pool, this pit of despair, and say. I'm not sure that I do actually repent, because if I did, I would be loving the penalties. I would be loving penance. So we need to really push back on that and say, I don't think so. True contrition recognizes that it needs a savior. It does not want to go to hell. It does not love hell. It does not love penalties. What it does is it cries out in fear that it will be punished. That's, I mean, that's the whole thing. It recognizes that it needs uh, to be saved. And so... Oh, wow, it's quite windy outside. Apostolic pardons are to be preached with caution, lest the people may falsely think them preferable to other good works or love. Now, so, just to tie this back to what's been discussed, as was, I mean, as was discussed in the Blood and Bone episode with Pastor Roland, Luther's understanding in the 95 Theses is not really justification by faith alone. In fact, it's not justification by faith alone at all. He's talking about a change in the person, about hating yourself, humbling yourself, and doing good works and love. Really, he's saying you need to change. You, you, you. Like intra, in, inside yourself. That's where salvation needs to happen. This understanding is of grace is not something that merely forgives, right? But something that, that changes. And, um, I, well, you know how Catholics talk about this. As Pastor Roland said, this is just medieval Catholic theology. Christians are to be taught that the Pope does not intend the buying of pardons to be compared in any way to works of mercy. Why is that? 
Well, of course, because the medieval Catholic theologians were teaching that works of mercy have eternal value. Whereas, as Luther has said, the, um, the uh, what, what, what do you call those things? <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing the 95 Theses and I forgot what they're called. Indulgences, right? Ecclesiastical pardons and such do not um, forgive your actual sins before God, but merely they forgive the penalty of the church in this life. Thesis 43, Christians are to be taught that he who gives to the poor and lends to the needy does a better work than buying pardons. Now, of course, I mean, that's obvious, right? But I think what this really gets down to the heart of is how could this be confused unless works have been, are, and being taught as something that affects or merits kind of or earns your relationship with God? in heaven, with Christ, or whatever, right? And so some kind of eternal spiritual impact from doing these works. Otherwise, it would be obvious that the better work is to give to the poor or lend to the needy. Buying a pardon doesn't help anybody, right? It just gives the church more money than it needs. Because the love grows by works of love, this is, this is 44, and man becomes better, but by pardons, man does not grow better, only more free from penalty. So again... Luther's misunderstanding how salvation works in a big, big, big way. He's saying, you need to become better. This is Platonism 101. You need to become better. You need to, be, you need to ascend into the form of man, the Platonic form of perfect, or, or perfect man, or perfection or whatever, right? Whereas he's, he's really, he's, he's taking a hit against, he's, he's, he's um, rejecting a kind of imparted, no, no, imputed grace in exchange for this imparted change. He's saying um, um, that love grows by works of love and man becomes better. That's how he's understanding what, like, what we need, what needs to happen, not just to be free from penalty. And so he, he would be arguing alongside um, the modern Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and whatever that simple forgiveness isn't going to work. Simple forgiveness just frees you from penalty. It doesn't make you better. This betrays and explains and displays how Luther at this time was understanding salvation. It was as climbing the ladder. It was as becoming better than what you are. It's becoming that platonic form. It's becoming something that you're not ascending to heaven, climbing the ladder, right? Christians are to be taught that he who sees a man in need and passes by him and gives him his money for pardons purchases not the indulgences of the, of the Pope, but the indignation of God. Now, I mean, that's true, right? To pass by someone in need is awful. It is to disregard what you should do. It's, it's really to break the law of God, right? So he's right here, but he's not really right on where the end of this is going. The end of this is that we will be forgiven for that. But I'm not really sure at this point. But Luther is really understanding that. It's, it's really like, I will forgive you if. It's an if-then statement still. Thesis 46. Christians are to be taught that unless they have more than they need, they are bound to keep back what is necessary for their own families and by no means squander it on pardons. Now, this is good. He's pushing back against, um, I forget the term, but in medieval Catholicism, there were really two sides of the, of the way that asceticism and really like the Christian practical life was understood. One side, which was really backed by Francis of Assisi, and he's kind of like the poster boy of this movement, taught that you were to give of what you have, even if you didn't have more than you needed, right? You were to give of your own substance, 
in a way, not just alms. Whereas Luther is more on the side of, yes, give alms. Give that which you have, which is more than you need. Give, you give, your, give away your luxury, not your substance. Um, protect yourself and protect your family first, then give to those who are needy. Whereas there was another side of medieval Catholicism which said, no, 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 give of yourself, like be destitute. And even a lot of them even like abandoned their families. He's just 47. Christians are to be taught that the, that the buying of, an, of pardons is a matter of free will and not of commandment. Now, does Luther end up believing in free will? Not in the end. He doesn't, which is interesting. So if you go, if you go over to uh, the Counter-Reformation, guys like, especially like Erasmus, like the 95 Theses are really an Erasmian document because it has this concept of free will. It has this concept of... Um, you know, pushing back against the extreme asceticism, the extreme abuses in the church, but it's not really denying any of them. It's not really denying any fundamental papist doctrine at all, whatsoever, not even indulgences. Christians are to be taught that the Pope, in granting pardons, needs and therefore desires their devout prayer for him more than the money they bring. Christians are to be taught that the Pope's pardons are useful if they do not put their trust in them but altogether harmful if through them they lose their fear of God. So this is Thesis 49 here. And here we find something that's really important because this is not something to throw away holistically, but like, I mean, it is insofar as the Pope and his pardons throw that away. But this concept is actually carried through into the Book of Concord, um, the, 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 the latter, you know, the 1580, the full thing, where it's taught in the formula of Concord about good works, that they do not harm your salvation, right? They're useful, but if you put your trust in them, if they cause you to lose your fear of God and fear whether or not you have good works, then they are harmful to your salvation. So this is interesting because, of course, it makes it into that later document in that same idea. So again, this is to say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to say, by and large, the 95 Theses are not a Lutheran document, but you see the seed is here. And, and the more interesting thing about that is that this stuff is just medieval Catholicism. The seed is in the medieval fathers. The seed is in the patristic church, right? More so the patristic church. But that's just to say, like, what, what became the Book of Concord 1580 never stopped to really exist. It's here, it's there, it's everywhere. Thesis 50. Christians are to be taught that if the Pope knew the exactions of the pardon preachers, he would rather that St. Peter's Church go to ashes, than that it should be built up with the skin, flesh, and bones of a sheep. Of course, Luther is wrong here, but Luther did not know the Pope's involvement, that he was getting cut from this. Um, so I'm sure he would be very shocked, and he was in the end very shocked, to the point of saying the Pope is the Antichrist, to the point of saying the Catholics are not saved, that they are not our brothers and sisters in Christ, to the point of saying you can't even pray for them, and you can't pray with them, and that they're all reprobates. That's that's to the extent that he ended up going. So he completely flip flops, right? And then this is and this is a really big thing when it comes up uh, in the conversation of how do we understand our authority in theological controversies within the Lutheran Church? Are we to be confessional Lutherans, staking our claim on the Book of Concord itself, what it says there? Are we to limit that to the AC and the small catechism and have freedom beyond that? I, I mean, really. Being confessional is not just to say, yeah, we're precisionistic about what's in here. But what it is more to say is that everything not in here is adiaphora. 
Okay? And that's missed a lot because in these theological controversies, so many synods, so many churches are saying, no, 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 where, where there's controversy on what's in the Book of Concord, where the Book of Concord is silent, you ought to then follow Luther. You ought to then follow the, the latter divines of the Book of Concord. You ought to then follow the historic interpretation of it. And none of that is really keeping um, in lockstep with the confessional spirit, because it's really saying that this confession isn't enough. It's, that's what it's saying. It isn't enough. But anyways, that's an aside, is that this is important because when people try to make that claim that you ought to go and see Luther, we call these, I don't know what we call these, but they, they tend to put, they tend to pit Luther against the Lutherans oftentimes, and for good reason. Um, that's because Luther doesn't always agree with the divines, and Luther doesn't always agree with what ended up in the 1580 Concord at least not in his writings. And, and so this is a problem because Luther's thought changed so much from early to late Luther. And I hear people who I respect all the time say, oh, that's not true, that's a cop-out, that's hogwash. Um, no, it's no, it's not. You, all you have to do, read, read the 95 Theses, even read the Heidelberg Disputation, and then read later Luther. It's not the same man, it's completely different. And so what we should say as confessional Lutherans is we confess the Book of Concord. That's it. Um, what Luther wrote in the Book of Concord, we confess it. Not because Luther wrote it, but because it's in the Book of Concord. Um, and, and furthermore, we confess the Book of Concord because it's biblical. And if it wasn't biblical, we wouldn't confess it. And that's not to say that we confess it insofar that it's biblical, but because it's biblical. Anyways, um, angry rant aside, this is just to explain that um, if, if someone is telling you that you ought to not hold on to some parts of the formula of Concord, some parts of the apology of the Augsburg Confession, because it doesn't line up with what Luther said. Point them towards the variety and, and um, even disagreement within Luther himself. You can't bank your theological authority upon a man who doesn't agree with himself, frankly. Thesis 51. Christians, oh, I, did I read this? No, I didn't. It would be the Pope's wish, as it is his duty, to give of his own money, to the very many of those whom certain hawkers of pardons cajole money, even through the church, even though the church of St. Peter might have to be sold. Again, no, he wouldn't. The assurance of salvation by letters of pardon is vain, even though the commissary, nay, even though the Pope himself were to stake his soul upon it. Now, this, again, this is interesting because, again, it, it draws into question the authority of the Pope to actually forgive sins. And really, Luther's saying, no. So he's he's somewhere between here. Uh, medieval Catholic papists and 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 <laughs> and um, like a Baptist evangelical. Of course, um, this this is this is really what got him into trouble. It was really questioning the authority of the Pope to do anything. Um, and of course, you know, the Pope <laughs> he he does not like this article to say that to say that. Um, Anyway, but just on another point, Luther himself, as we've seen through the 39 articles, that, or the 95 um, theses thus far, he doesn't like the concept of assurance of salvation, at least when he's writing this at all in the first place. They are enemies of Christ and of the Pope who bid the word of God to be altogether silent in some churches in order that pardons may be preached in others. So you see here, there's a big problem. We agree with Luther here. Um, 
Yeah, no, the word needs to be preached. And why does the word of God need to be preached? Because it's a means of grace. What are these uh, indulgence letters? There Are they a means of grace? No. And now the thing is that they're, he's saying they're not the means of grace, firstly, because they're not from God. Um, and then there's, you know, he also has this issue with, of course, as we've been talking about, that what they can forgive, the penalties in this life. That's not what our problem is. It's the pro the problem is that there's money paid. If you, as I said in, in the first episode of this series on the 95 Theses, if that letter of pardon says Christ has forgiven your sins, you are forgiven for the sake of Christ apart from works, I have no issue with that letter of pardon whatsoever. So it matters what gospel is being preached. Go back to Galatians 1 and the false gospels and all this stuff, right? Thesis 54. Injury is done, the word of God, when in the same sermon an equal or longer time is spent on pardons than on this word. I have a similar comment to make, but it has to do with illustrations and stories from people's lives or the news or whatever. When, <laughs> and this, I mean, some people will be very upset that I'm saying that, but it is true. If, um, in a sermon, an equal or longer time is spent on illustrating or a story or whatever or humor or whatever than it is on the actual word of God. You are missing something and you're not really preaching the word of God. Uh, I don't know what you're preaching. I don't really know if you're preaching. You're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. This is 55. It must be the intention of the Pope that if pardons, which are a very small thing, are celebrated with one belt, with single processions and ceremonies, then the gospel, which is the very greatest thing, should be preached with a hundred bells, a hundred processions, a hundred ceremonies. The treasures of the church, out of which the Pope grants indulgences, are not sufficiently named or known among the peoples of Christ. I don't know if we got to this. We might have gotten to this in the first episode on the series. But this idea of what, what Luther's talking about is the treasury of merit. And so Christ... Christ has merit, and, and they love this word merit. It basically means worth. Think of like uh, arcade tokens. <laughs> Maybe that's crude, but this is the reality. Think of arcade tokens. And so um, anytime a saint dies, he as, as they believe, they participate in the merits and whatever, and blah, 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 and this forgives sins, blah, 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 however it works. I don't, really, I don't really pretend to know or care about such a silly, stupid doctrine. But basically... Um, uh, anytime a saint gets enough tokens to buy his little teddy bear from the arcade, he gets extra tokens and, he, and they go into the treasury of merit. And that's basically what they thought that the monks were doing. Um, so that's why they liked the monastery so much, was because, um, was because the idea was that these monks will save everybody. <laughs> you don't have to pray, the monks will pray for you. And so he's, he's talking about that, and he's saying, basically, we don't know how much, how many arcade tokens are in there or what. 57. That they are not temporal treasures is certainly evident, for many of the vendors do not pour out such treasuries so easily, but only gather them. So he's saying that this treasury of merit is not for the things of this world, as indulgences are, but therefore the eternal um, relationship that you have with God in heaven. Thesis 58. Nor are they without the merits of Christ that the saints, for even without the Pope, these always work for grace for the inner man and the cross, death, and hell for the outward man. So there, where is he understanding the cross? What is he understanding it to do? Death and hell for the outward man. And what is for the inward man? And he goes a little further here, Thesis 59. St. Lawrence said that the treasures of the church were the church's poor. But he spoke according to the usage of the word in his own time. 
Without rashness, we say that the keys of the church given by Christ's merit are the treasure. This is everything, really. Um, and we can apply this... <coughs> We can apply this notion in this way, right? So if the Roman Catholics are talking about the gift being bought by these arcade tokens and the treasury of merit having all the arcade tokens and the Pope dishes them out as he wishes, we should then think about it this way. That in this treasury, there are arcade... What do you call the items? The gifts? Arcade things that you buy at an arcade, whatever, however it works, right? And the keys of the kingdom, open the treasury. Makes sense? And who has the keys? The pastor has the keys. And what what how, what does it look like when the keys happen? It looks like, I forgive you all your sins. And this happens through the word. It happens through baptism. It happens through the supper. It happens through confession and absolution. So, when you get into that, you get the whole thing. You don't get, and so they've kind of flipped it around, right? That they've, they've understand this treasury thing to be the keys in a way. Um, or I, I don't really even, again, I'm not going to pretend to know how any Roman Catholic theology works. I don't really want to either. Um, thesis 61. For it's clear that the remission of penalties and of reserved cases, the power of the Pope is of itself insufficient. Again, he's smashing the authority of the Pope and thinking that the Pope is going to agree with him. Thesis 62, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and the grace of God. Again, we agree with him here. And that's why I'm saying we need to really understand what's in this treasury is not this kind of arcade token stuff, but it's the gifts and the keys open the treasury so that we can receive all the gifts. But this treasure is naturally most odious for it makes the first to be last and of course the last to be first. And on the other hand, the treasury of indulgences is naturally most acceptable, for it makes the last to be first. Therefore, the treasures of the gospel are nets with which they formerly were wont to fish for men of riches. The treasures of the indulgences are nets with which they now fish for the riches of men. The indulgences which the preachers cry as the greatest graces are known to be truly such, insofar as they promote gain. Yet they are, in truth, the very smallest graces compared with the grace of God and the piety of the cross. Again, what, so what is the piety of the cross? This goes back to his, his weird understanding that humiliation and self-hatred and all of this, like the beating of the flesh and this and that, is going to contribute in some way, in somehow, to your salvation. Bishops and curates are bound to admit the commissaries of the apostolic pardons with all reverence. But still more are they bound to strain all their eyes and attend with all their ears, the lest these men preach their own dreams instead of the commission of the Pope. He who speaks against the truth of the apostolic pardons, let him be anathema and accursed. What does it mean to be anathema and accursed? It means you, you're going to hell, essentially is what it means. But he who guards against the lust and the license of the pardon preachers, let him be blessed. The Pope justly thunders against those who, by any art, contrive the injury of the traffic in pardons. But much more does he intend to thunder against those who use the pretext of pardons to contrive the injury of holy love and truth. To think that the papal pardons so great that they could absolve a man even if he had committed an impossible sin and violated the mother of God, this is madness. So, 
uh, it's hard to say if this is some kind of like papist thing because Luther did carry on um, a high Mariology to the end of his life. It did change. It did get lower. But basically, he began with thinking that she was immaculately conceived, of course, Semper Virgo and all of this stuff. Later, by the end of his life, he no longer believed that she became immaculate and sinless at her conception, but then at Christ's conception within her. So that's better. I would say that's fine. It's not biblical, but it's fine. It's not anti-biblical either. Um, but, yeah, I mean... This is not, frankly, this is this is not an impossible sin. People do this all the time, and um, it is not unforgivable. There's only one uh, one unforgivable sin, and it is to reject the means of grace. And uh, the 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 only thing that can um, forgive you of that unforgivable sin is to stop doing it. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah. Anyways, thesis seventy six. We say on the contrary that the papal pardons are not able to remove the very least of venial sins so far as guilt is concerned. So there, uh, do you guys know what venial sins are? These They say that mortal sins are the ones that break your relationship with God. Venial sins are the ones that you can basically get past, if that makes sense. Um, so venial sins are forgiven, just, just so. Basically kind of like going to Mass and whatever there, blah, blah, blah. Um, going to confession is necessary to forgive you of your mortal sins. And uh, he's saying that a papal pardon can't even forgive you your venial sins. It can't forgive you any sin before God against the law. It can only forgive ecclesiastical punishments. Thesis 77. It is said that even St. Peter, if he were now Pope, could not bestow greater graces. This is the blasphemy against St. Peter and against the Pope. We say, on the contrary, that even the present Pope and the Pope, any Pope at all, has greater graces at his disposal. To wit, the gospel, the gospel powers, gifts of healing, etc., as is written in 1 Corinthians um, 12. What's really interesting about this is he mentions healing. Maybe this will excite all of my uh, charismatic Lutheran friends. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not one of those, by the way. Thesis 79. To say that the cross, emblazoned with the papal arms, which is set up by the preachers of the indulgences, is of equal worth with the cross of Christ, is blasphemy. And indeed, it is blasphemy. The bishops, curates, and theologians who allow such talk to be spread among the people um, will have to account, have an account to render, will they? Um, well, this is interesting, isn't it? I just had in Bible study, someone was asking a very good question. If we are saved, do we still have to give public account for our sins? Are we still going to be judged for our sins and our good works? And, um, well, maybe that's for another episode to discuss that. But this is kind of still the question that is being thrown around here in Thesis 80. Not a question, but Luther's taking a stand on it. Here he's taking a stand on it. Thesis 81. This unbridled preaching of pardons makes it no easy matter, even for learned men, to rescue the reverence due to the Pope from slander or even from shrewd questioning, shrewd questioning of the laity. To wit, why does not the Pope empty purgatory for the sake of holy love and of dire need of the souls that are there, if he redeems an infinite number of souls for the sake of miserable money with which he would build a church. The former reasons would be most just. The latter is most trivial. So he's saying, if the Pope had the authority to uh, free all souls from suffering in purgatory, why wouldn't he do it just, just because? Just for the sake of humanity and love and decency. Why would he, why would he need to wait until they would build a church for him, right? I mean, fair point. 
Again, why are mortuary and anniversary masses for the dead continued, and why does he not return or permit the withdrawal of endowments funded on, be on their behalf since it is wrong to pray for the redeemed? Is it wrong to pray for the redeemed? That's a good question. Um, again, I don't think that this is the podcast for that, um, but we will get into that on Confessing Concord when we start talking about prayers for the dead. Thesis 84, again, what is this new piety of God and the Pope that for money they allow a man who is imp impious and their enemy to buy out of purgatory the pious soul of a friend of God and do not rather because that of that pious and beloved soul's own need free it for pure love's sake. Again, same points he's making. Again, why are the penitential canons long since in actual fact and though through disuse abrogated and dead now satisfied by the granting of indulgences as though they were still alive and in force? Again, why does not the Pope whose wealth is today greater than the riches of the richest, build this one church out of his own money rather than with the money of poor believers. Perhaps here he's starting to question whether the Pope is in the know here. Maybe not. Thesis 87. Again, what is the Pope, what is that that the Pope remits and what participation does he grant to those who by perfect contrition have a right to full remission of sins and participation? So this is very papist, thinking that by quote-unquote perfect contrition, and disagreeing with what the true meaning of contrition is here, have a right, right, nobody has a right to salvation, to full remission and participate. And this is what Paul is speaking about in, in the book of Romans. If it is a work earned, if it is a right, then it's no longer by grace. Thesis 88, again, what greater blessing could come to the church than if the Pope were to do a hundred times a day what he now does once and bestow on every believer these remissions and participations. Since the Pope, by his pardons, seeks the salvation of souls rather than money, <laughs> if only that were the truth, Luther, um, why does he suspend the indulgences and pardons granted heretofore, since these have equal efficacy? To express these arguments and scruples of the laity by force alone, and not to resolve them by giving reasons, is to expose the church and the pope to the ridicule of their enemies, and to make Christians unhappy. If therefore pardons were preached according to the spirit and the mind of the pope, all these doubts would be readily resolved. Nay, they would not exist. Away, then, with all these prophets who say to the people of Christ, Peace, peace, and there is no peace. Blessed be all those prophets who say to the Pope of Christ, Cross, cross, there is no cross. Christians are to be exhorted that they be diligent in following Christ, their head through penalties, death, and hell. And thus be confident of entering into heaven, rather though through many tribulations than through the assurance of peace. This is the worst thing anyone can ever say, to be confident of entering into heaven, rather through many tribulations than through the assurance of peace. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's Thesis 95. And what, I mean, what really needs to be said about this, what needs to be said about this, is that when we look at what really drove Luther, and I was thinking maybe we'll have an episode on Blood and Bone about what drove Luther, what was driving him um, forward, what was motivating his ministry, is that people would always like to say that it's pastoral care. That it's a care for the souls. But I, my problem with that is that that's a complete buzzword. And it's a meaningless one. right? It's so arbitrary. It's so nothing. It's, it's, it's to say nothing. Because you see that same kind of concern for past, quote unquote pastoral care. 
All it really means is don't abuse the sheep. And and so for the sake of not abusing the sheep, you can do whatever you want. And so for Luther at this time, to abuse the sheep means to essentially, like his, his problem isn't really the giving of money. It's really um, the idea that you can just forgive sins willy-nilly, as he would put it probably. Um, whereas later Luther would condemn this Luther for reasons of pastoral care. So pastoral care can look like two different things. It's so meaningless. Um, because, I mean, like a papist can have pastoral care, a Lutheran can have pastoral care, a Baptist can have pastoral care, and then all their pastoral cares will combat one another in the arena. And so when Luther is, 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 is writing these 95 theses, he's like, this is idiotic. You don't need to give money to get out of heaven. What you need to do is works, 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 hate yourself, humble yourself, be better, do better, become something else, and 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 thank God in 1521, Luther writes the Heidelberg Disputation, and he flip-flops and puts a bullet in the head of old Luther, and he says, the law says do this, and it's never done, and the gospel says believe that it is already done. And that's just a complete black and white flip, change, everything. Like, it's turned over, it's flipped around, it's destroyed, and so... All this is to, to come back to this fundamental center point to say that, um, well, well, what am I saying? We, we so often speak of the 95 Theses as the beginning of the Reformation, and in a sense they were, but they are themselves the enemy of the spirit of the Reformation that ended up becoming the um, Protestant Church at large even, but especially the Lutheran Church. Anyways, this has been uh, Pastor Connor, Transcendent Truth Media. Go to our website, uh, all that good stuff. Anyways, God bless you guys. Hope this has been fun. And um, you'll catch me, I guess. Um, the next book we're doing is going to be um, on this Lutheranism 101 series thing. Uh, but next time we cover uh, an, our next cited text on Blood and Bone, it'll be on here. So anyways, until then, guys, God bless.